You're listening to the Grassroots Church Podcast. We're a Jesus-centered community in Thunder Bay, Ontario. You can learn how to participate more by going to our website at grassroots.church. Uh, all right, well, good morning, folks. Um, those who remain. Uh, so my name's Steve, and, uh, and I'm the pastor here at Grassroots, which is still getting a little bit weird. Still a little bit weird to say, but here we are. Um, and this morning, we are in sort of the second part of Marker 1, which is part of a larger uh, sort of five, no, 11-week series where uh, each week we focus on one of the new markers, uh, or five markers of a new reformation under the Jesus Collective. And so that was last week. And then we, the following week is the discussion time. And so we provide just a bit of a summary this morning for those who maybe weren't here last week or just need a bit of a reminder. Um, and so that's what we're looking at this morning. If you are sort of tracking or if you're like, I'm kind of feeling lost about what's going on here, um, all this information is, is being shared in our newsletter, as Amy said earlier. It's also on our grassroots um, Facebook group. Um, and if you just go to jesuscollective.com, I want to say calm, but maybe it's org. Just Google Jesus Collective, uh, and or even Jesus Collective Five Markers. Uh, that'll help you kind of understand sort of what the Jesus Collective's five markers are. It's sort of a bigger picture of all of that as well. Um, and so we've already done a few weeks ago. Uh, I did the third marker, and then today we kind of backed up and we went to the first marker. Last week we went to the first marker, which is. God always looks like Jesus, and Scripture is properly read through Jesus, through a Jesus lens. Um, those sort of out of a Mennonite Anabaptist background will be like, oh yeah, that sounds very familiar. That's kind of how I grew up, and and I've actually received a few messages saying, hey, that's very Baptist or very Anabaptisty of us, and it's not unintentional. The, the uh, Jesus Collective is in many ways, or many of the churches, many of the, the folks that sort of formed the theology circle around uh, the Jesus Collective that kind of helped shape its theology came from Anabaptist roots. But also, I believe, and this is why I'm convicted of and inclined, is, inclined toward, is that I believe this is what the scriptures teach us, that Jesus is the centerpiece of everything, not the Bible, um, but Jesus, the Bible is great insofar as it points us to Jesus and teaches us how to live and how to follow Jesus. Amen? Okay, great. Uh, and so this is what we're looking at. And so this is our marker. God always looks like Jesus and all scripture is properly understood through the lens of Jesus. And actually, in fact, uh, Amy mentioned the Brian Zahn course and Honestly, if you have an opportunity, there's a YouTube link on in our, in our Grassroots uh, Facebook group. Please check out those videos because those are very much in line with what, uh, what we're getting at here as well. Um, some of it, as Amy said, is challenging to understand because for many of us who come from a, a background where uh, you know, all scripture carries the same weight and we have to understand God in, in light of the entirety, the entire canon of Scripture, that can be really challenging because we're, we're challenging that idea. And we're basically saying, actually, some Scripture bears more accurate depiction of what God is like than others. And Brian Zahn, again, looked at wrath and looked at violence in the Old Testament and helps us sort of reconfigure how our perception is on that stuff. And, and, and I think, um, I think it, it helps us articulate our faith better as well and defend our faith. God is made known through Jesus, perfectly, completely, wholly, not just 
you know, the soft side of God. That's who Jesus is. But all of God, all of the Father is revealed through the person of Jesus. And uh, go to the next one. And Jesus, of course, is all the fullness of God compressed into a human. That's what we are stating here. This is what our core conviction is, that if you're trying to understand who God the Father is, and you're looking through all the scriptures, and they're painting a picture that is anything other than who Jesus is revealed, then that is a misreading of scripture. It's a strong statement. Um, But again, it is what the New Testament itself teaches. And so Jesus is the, the fullness of God compressed into a human. Um, now, there is a theological contrast and a secular contrast with each of these markers. And the theological contrast for this one, when I mean theological contrast, I mean what the churches often sort of like summarize or how they kind of uh, define these or articulate this idea of who God is. Um, they'll say that the truth about God is averaged from all the portraits across the Bible. So uh, the God who um, orders the Israelites to kill every woman, every man, woman, and child in Canaan, um, the God who destroys all of creation, all of humanity through the flood, is the same God, and His character is the same. Uh, uh, that same God on the cross is 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 that same God, the God who gives His life for everyone. And so that's what sort of one way that we've. Try, that, that's, that's a struggle that as Christians we've sought to like, well, we've got to try to reconcile this. And so it's been hard. Um, and so Jesus is God's soft side, but not the exact representation of God. Again, this is sort of the contrast of, to what we're proposing this morning, to what the Jesus Collective, uh, these five markers are suggesting. That Jesus is God's soft side, right? He's the kind, compassionate side, but then there's also the wrathful God. There's also the violent God. There's also the God who is punitive and, um, you know, that whole sort of uh, not that nasty side of God that is often kind of hard to reconcile. Um, Every verse in the Bible carries equal authoritative weight. This is what, again, that sort of the theological contrast to what we're proposing. And we're suggesting that actually there are scriptures that have greater weight in, in illuminating who God is and what his character actually is. And then an idea is biblical if you can find a verse anywhere that seems to support it. Um, a couple years ago, there was a book by the late Rachel Held Evans called uh, A Year of Biblical Womanhood. And it was sort of a tongue-in-cheek um, uh, account of her trying to live as faithfully Biblically, uh, biblically woman, or as faithfully <laughs> as she could in terms of how the Bible describes what a proper woman should be like, whether it's in the role of a woman, I mean, a, a wife, a mother, whatever. And so she goes all through scripture and it's just, it's kind of hilarious at what it looks like to be a biblical woman um, because it just doesn't make sense. You can't just apply any Bible verse in the Bible and say, oh, this is what it means to be a woman, therefore we have to carry this out. It requires a little bit of discerning, doesn't it? And so Jesus helps us. He gives us this lens to uh, interpret and to, and to um, understand these scriptures better. And so that's sort of the theological contrast. And then there's a secular contrast. What does the world say? And the world says, hey, you know, the Bible's outdated. It supports violence and oppression. It's anti-science. You can't trust the Bible. There's no value in it. Just discard it and move on with your life, right? Um, there's no way to know the truth about God or ultimate reality. We can't know any of this. 
especially if you're looking to this, you know, antiquated book uh, that, sh- you know, shows God as violent and all this. Like, it just, it further convicts us that we can't know who God is. Um, and any understanding of God is just as valid as anyone else's, right? So everyone's view about God is fine. Just don't get in the way of anyone else. Just, just all, you know, live and let live and, and, and just carry on recognizing that everyone's view about God is the same. Uh, there's no way to arbitrate between conflicting private intuitions about good and evil, right and wrong. How do we understand morality? It's just whatever feels right works, go for it. Just don't hurt anyone else. That's kind of like the, the triumphant sort of the, the moral compass that we use in the world, that the world uses. Just whatever feels right, go with it. And any deliberation or argument about who's right and who's wrong, good and bad and all that stuff. I mean, that's great for the, you know, the philosophical discussions and things like that. But in practice, it's just, you kind of discard that. Nobody really has the authority to say what's right, what's wrong. Just don't hurt anyone else and we'll be okay. So that's kind of how the secular world works. And so that doesn't work either for followers of Jesus. And so neither the theological contrast that many of us grew up with that sees the Bible one way and, and neither the discard the Bible, discard God, all of it all together, get rid of it. We don't need to pay attention to that. Neither of those options work. And so uh, go to the next slide, Scott. Um, we've discussed, and we're going to discuss this in our groups later, so I won't get into this too much, but how we understand God and his nature fundamentally uh, affects how we understand our world and, and reality. Um, and go to the next one. And so when we look at scripture, we see, especially in the New Testament, last week we looked at a whole bunch of verses that basically said, if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know who God the Father is, which is a big concept. He goes beyond our comprehension. He's beyond our language. He is unknowable, except that he's revealed through Jesus. And that's all we need to have. And again, completely and entirely, no one has ever seen God. It's God, the only son who is close to the father's heart, who has made God known. Jesus makes God known. Um, The next one, I don't know. I don't have any notes this morning, so I'm just kind of like depending on this because this is supposed to be a quick summary. Um, Colossians, he's the image of the invisible God, all the fullness of God. All of the fullness of God was pleased to live in Jesus. I mean, these are just beautiful poetic verses, but they speak deep biblical truths that if we want to know who God is, we just keep looking at the person of Jesus. And that's why I would say the gospel accounts, the narrative of Jesus' life and his ministry are the most important things for us to study as followers of Jesus because it points directly to Jesus and then the rest of the New Testament as well. Um, And that's not to discard the Old Testament. It just means that for us as followers of Jesus, we read the Old Testament through a different lens. We have the benefit of having Jesus glasses to see, to read the Old Testament. Um, Go ahead to the next verse. And and this is my point. If we are um, now presented with with a lens to understand God, it doesn't mean that the question of interpretation, that the question of, you know, discussion and deliberation on what God's nature is done, just because we have Jesus to to look through it, it still works. It's just easier. It's just easier for us to do. Um, Go ahead to the next one. Again, I've been, a lot of uh, these ideas, and actually a lot of the Jesus Collective ideas, came out of uh, Meg and Larissa Good's book, 
well, her, but then she also wrote this book called The Bible on Rap, Making Sense of Scripture Day. And I have a whole bunch of quotes that I think, you know, I was reading through it. I was like, I should just not share this. I should just summarize it. But I was like, actually, these quotes really speak at what we're getting at this morning so well, I thought I would just kind of share directly from them. So any account of the character of God revealed in Jesus must do justice to the complexity of Jesus himself, as we see in all four gospel accounts. So the forceful and gentle Jesus, the humble and fearless, the confrontational and compassionate. So in other words, it's not just like the soft, you know, friendly loving, I mean, it is loving and it is friendly. It is that, absolutely. But we, we have a tendency to be like, oh, well, then we don't have to worry about God's justice and we don't have to worry about uh, God's sort of uh, need for um, fairness and, and, and all these other things. And we can just like the soft, loving Jesus who was uh, accepting of everyone and blah, blah, blah. But that's not the Jesus of the gospel either. And we do see a forceful Jesus, but we also see a gentle Jesus. We do see a humble Jesus. We see a fearless. We see all these contrasting attributes of Jesus that we can then project onto who God is as well. And understanding that and getting to sort of that picture takes work. It takes work from all of us in in the context of community to understand who that God is. And uh, and so I think that's important. It's not to just sort of sidestep and be like, oh, now we got Jesus and we don't have to think through this anymore. We still very much still have to think, think through who God is. Uh, go to the next one. Um, for the New Testament, Jesus is the very image of God and the cross is the centerpiece of his revelation. And so even as we read through the gospel accounts, all four of them, and we understand just different depictions or, or focuses on Jesus' character that we can then project onto God, that those questions of his character can still remain. And so the best lens to look through is not just the person of Jesus, but it's the cross itself, this cruciform love, cross-shaped love that is represented on the cross. Uh, And Brad Jerzak says, the one you see on the cross reveals the nature of God as cruciform, which means God is self-giving, radically forgiving, co-suffering love. This at the end of the day, is who God truly is. He is self-giving continuously. He is radically forgiving. We see this on the cross. And he is co-suffering love. He He defines for us what love is to look like, and it is sacrificial love. Right? And so those are the ways that we can understand God. That is the lens to which we understand God. You might say we are... um, we need to be cross-eyed, cross-eyed. Okay, <laughs> that week. All right. Um, okay, go to the next one. Uh, so the people of Israel, and this is a quote from Megan in her book, and I'm, it's a little bit long, but um, this is how, so we understand God through this lens. But then, how do we understand Scripture? Because that's a big question that many of us have. Well, yeah, but how do we read the Old Testament now? Because of this co-suffering, um, you know. Uh, self-giving God is who, or Jesus is who God is, well, how do we read all these passages in the Old Testament that definitely don't reflect that? And it says, and, and this is a really helpful perception for myself and hopefully for you as well. The people of Israel were always in real relationship with God. They spoke with God. They listened for God's voice. They experienced God's power in very real ways. Nobody's diminishing that. But without the light of Jesus, they were living in the dark. In the dark, it's still fully possible to see the outline of true shapes, but it's also possible on occasion to step on a slipper that turns out to be your sleeping cat. 
Anyone ever do that before? Right? Their perception wasn't the full picture. They had an idea, but it wasn't the whole thing. The, pe- um, the people of Israel saw many things incredibly well. But their own prophet Isaiah foretold that a day would come when the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a pitch black land, light has dawned. In the light of Jesus, it is clear they discern many things well. However, it also becomes evident there are moments along the way when their senses may have deceived them. Um, There were times they drew lines between very real dots but connected them in the wrong order. Recognizing this reality of life in the dark does not diminish the worth of the Old Testament. And do not hear us say this morning that we do not uh, regard the Old Testament as valuable or as uh, contributing to our understanding of who God is. It absolutely does. But again, let me reemphasize that it is only within the context of Jesus that we can understand the Old Testament. And this is what she says. But it does mean that it has to be understood in terms of its proper place within the larger story. We now read the stories with the lights on, considering what Jesus has illuminated about the will of God. On occasion where the Israelites once believed they they had leashed an elephant, we may find a rhinoceros standing. Deliverance, conquest, kingdom, power. These are all things that might turn out in the light of day to have very different faces than we originally thought. This doesn't have to worry us because God, of course, has accounted for this all along. And we can believe that as followers of Jesus. And last week I shared that when you know how a story ends, it changes how you understand all of the earlier chapters. And uh, our daughter, May, uh, Maddie, as I mentioned, often goes to the back of the book and reads the end. And of course, that affects every single page that she has yet to read because she knows what's going to happen at the end. So it changes how she understands the character, how she understands everything. And that's kind of how we are to read the Bible. We know Jesus. We know who God is revealed through Jesus. And therefore that changes how we read and how we understand these Old Testament stories, these Old Testament um, you know, descriptions and motifs of, of violence and conquering and power, all of these things. Go to the next one. Um, so what does that look like practically? And uh, this, this um, example that I'm going to share comes from the podcast, the Jesus Collective podcast on this topic. Has anyone had a chance to listen to this podcast? It's, it's with Brad Jerzak, and it's basically he, him walking through kind of uh, what, what does it mean to, uh, to, re, to read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus. And he gives a few examples. And so one of these examples, I thought, okay, I, I'll just share this. Um, if you can definitely take a look and listen to that podcast. It's worth it. And I know I want to like scoot around here because we want to discuss this as well. But so he says, you you begin with sort of what is your God hermeneutic? John 10, 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So the, the thief, the enemy is the one who kills. Yeah. God comes to give life. Go to the next one. So starting as that, with that as our sort of hermeneutic of God, our understanding of who God is, again, revealed through Jesus. When we look at a story like Elijah calling down um, fire from heaven and burning up the, uh, the soldiers that, come in, uh, that are coming to summon him, which seems very innocuous, seems like, oh, that's kind of odd that he would do that. He called down fire from heaven and burned up all of these people, scorched them to death. And then a bunch of a bunch of other soldiers came to get him. 
And he did the same thing. And it happened like, I don't know, two or three times. You can read the story in 2 Kings. But again, from the standpoint of the scriptures, it suggests that Elijah is summoning God to come and burn up all of these people. However, we just read in John that the thief is the one who comes to kill and destroy. God, Jesus, comes to give life. So Jesus is a life giver. The enemy, Satan, is a killer. Move to the next slide. So how do we reconcile this? And this would be the key, friends. That God lets his children tell the story. The narrator, the author of the scriptures, is given permission by God to tell the story from their lens, from their understanding. These are children, so go back, these are children who do not have the privilege of having met Jesus, of having known who Jesus is. These are people who did the best they could with the knowledge they had. And God said, that's okay. So that is the real clincher there. That's the key. So from their perspective, God sent fire to come down and kill all the bad guys who came after Elijah. But we know through Jesus that that's not who God is. That's not how God's revealed, right? Next slide. Um, And so... This is what Luke says, and this is interesting because actually we see this exact story in the gospel. These are, you know, Jesus' disciples are, uh, you know, they're good, faithful Jews. They know their scriptures, and they're in Samaria. Well, let's just read this. He He sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him. This is Luke 9, because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord... Do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Again, hearkening back to the time of Elijah, when Elijah did this very thing. They're like, God did that back then. Why wouldn't he do it anymore? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And some, actually a number of translations, depending on the manuscript from which it was translated, say this. He rebuked them and said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. So that's an interesting thing for Jesus to say to these people. You do not know what spirit you are of. Um, Next slide. So if Jesus says this calling down a fire to scorch all these Samaritans is of the wrong spirit and the cruciform Jesus, again, the God of co-suffering love, who's here to give life, not take it, then we have to ask how the author of 2 Kings understood God and if that was really God bringing down fire from heaven or did he just allow the author of scripture to say, the author of the second Kings to say um, that it was God doing this. So it was God bringing fire down from heaven. Uh, and that's the question. And so go, go ahead to the next one. And so if we were to summarize this, we would say, first of all, we look at through the lens of what we we're to look through, which is that God is a life giver, not a life taker. The enemy is the death dealer, as Brad Jerzak says. And then when God is seen killing someone in the Old Testament, it's because God lets children, his own children, tell the story. They did not have the advantage of looking it through the lens of Jesus. This helps us understand all the Old Testament in a very different light, right? And that helps us. If you're a parent like myself, and you've you know, been doing devotions at nighttime with your kids over the years, and you're and you're reading these stories of God in the Old Testament smiting this people group or destroying this land or telling Israel to conquer this land. And then you're also contrasting that with the Jesus of the New Testament who is God revealed. And you're trying to make sense of it. 
Now we can. This is, uh, maybe many of you have already come to this conclusion years ago. This is something that I'm just discovering now, and it's been really life-giving to me. It's, it's brought the scriptures alive again. I was chatting with someone this week, and they said, this perception helps me actually love the Old Testament again. And now I'm seeing it through a whole different lens, and it is just life-giving. And that's the thing. It still reveals so much about who God is when we read it through that Jesus lens, but it allows us to see it. Oh man, these are, these are men who did the best they could writing these words down as, as, as they understood and as God revealed to them. But it was from their perception. And they were within a very specific culture, within a very specific world that um, had a lot of assumptions about the divine. Go to the next scripture or next thing. And so because this story happens to be referenced in the New Testament, it makes it easier to see Jesus. And here we see Jesus rebuking the calling down of fire because that's of the wrong spirit. Okay. So that's all I wanted to say this morning in our sort of summary. It's just some easy, light thoughts here, guys. Yeah, no probs. Some of this stuff is hard. And the beauty of grassroots is that we are a safe space and we can communicate and discuss these things and our challenges with this perception freely without having to be judged or, or, or dismissed at all. And so if, you, if, if this perception, and you're like, no, 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 this, this raises all sorts of questions and problems with me, praise the Lord. I want that to be a conversation that we can have. Uh, my hope with this topic, but this whole series is that all of us will draw closer to the person of Jesus and actually that those struggling with, uh, I don't know if you read the newsletter this week, but I wrote a little bit about um, how we can restore faith through this perception. Many of us have struggled with reconciling this God of the Old Testament, for instance, uh, with the God of the New Testament. And I think this, this approach helps us to see things differently, but helps us to see things more authentically and to love, draw closer to that God. And so, um, yeah, I'm hoping that our faith is being restored. And if it's not, then I want you to talk to me and I want us to be able to engage in this conversation humbly together.